it's such a vulnerable part of the body, which is probably why I love this work so much because it has all of our like basic life functions are there. Like everyone wants to be able to pee, poop and have sex when they want and without pain, right? And it is like, we're taught not to talk about that stuff. And so it is a vulnerable thing, but um, but also I think I'm, I'm so glad that you feel like you've learned a lot. I think I would want folks to take away that it's not just some of the more obvious things. Like our pelvic floor has so many functions from controlling our sphincters to sexual function, to supporting our organs, to actually being part of our core, um, that sometimes things like a herniated disc or SI joint dysfunction can actually be pelvic floor is not working right. Welcome to the future is female powerlifting. A show where women of all strengths can explore the world of female powerlifting. I am your host, Heidi Donnell, a 60 kilo powerlifting gym owner, and each episode we bring you an inspiring interview or a message to help you unlock your true inner strength potential. Thanks for tuning in. Aloha, aloha, my beautiful friends, and welcome back. We are on episode 76, and I am super stoked to have Dr. Brianna Durand here with me today. Um, in this sort of episode has been a long time coming, and I told Brianna when we got to you know chat, I told her, I don't know how many times when I've posed questions of what y'all want to hear, um, you know, the pelvic floor or peeing or pooping or these kind of things that come up for us um, in training and in, in competing is always a question that comes up. And it's not my expertise, you know, and I... I like to put my knowledge where I know um, I have it. And if I don't have it, I bring those people on this show so you can hear it. So I'm really stoked to have Dr. Brianna today because she is not only a physical therapist and a pelvic floor specialist, so she specializes in, the, in, in exactly everything we need to know, but she is a damn power lifter. So she knows exactly what we're going through. Um, and we went over some fantastic topics here. And let me tell you a little bit about what you're going to learn here today. I asked her, why are women more prone to peeing than men? Uh, what are some signs that we should be concerned? How do we actually fix the peeing problem? Um, and when to seek a professional? Also, is it normal that we're peeing? And I like that we speak with her because she's a professional and she tells us exactly what happens when you actually seek professional help and what does that um, first visit look like, you know, their assessment, how do they figure out if you have overactive muscles or underactive muscles, which was a big like aha moment for me, because I think we always think like, oh, make them stronger, make them stronger. Um, but, you know, when I relate it to things in training, yeah, some things are too strong, some things are too tonic you know they have too much going on and that might be you so um at the end of this i think you're going to take a, a big big takeaway from all the information she's sharing with us anyways you know that this episode is brought to you by my gym core strength and performance where we live through strength and if you are looking to get some online training online coaching from me and my husband we're the dynamic duo i know i hate saying that so cliche but we we do work together um, for all of our online athletes. If you are interested, visit core256.com. Um, that's C-O-R-E 256.com. And if you are listening to this episode, you really enjoyed it, tag me and Dr. Brianna Durand in your, you know, take a screenshot, send it to me on Instagram, and I will repost it. I love sharing these things with everybody. Now let's get started with Dr. Durand. Give me a little background about okay. yourself as far as like your profession and how you got into powerlifting. Um, so, okay. So I can start with my professional background. So 
I graduated um, from PT school at Texas Women's University down in Houston. And um, I originally thought I wanted to go into neurologic physical therapy, which is like, you know, after stroke, spinal cord injury. But when I got to grad school, I realized I didn't like it. And so uh, like a lot of PTs, I was an athlete growing up. And so then I kind of switched to orthopedics and sports. And then while I was in grad school, I was super lucky that I actually got exposure to pelvic floor PT pretty early on because I had no idea what it was until I even got to PT school. Like I didn't know that was a thing that you could specialize in until I um, was in grad school. And then very fortunately, I was able to like take some extra con ed on pelvic floor and have an internship on pelvic floor um, and like kind of carve out this niche practice for um, doing orthopedics and pelvic floor PT. And I work, I do work a lot with strength athletes. Um, so both like powerlifters and strongman competitors and Olympic weightlifters. Um, and then my other niche is, um, providing gender affirming care to people who are undergoing transition. So like after they have surgery, um, things like that. Yeah. yeah that's oh my, my gosh, professional that's background. <laughs> and how did you get yeah. into powerlifting? Um, I was engaged to uh, a girl who powerlifted. And, you know, when you first start dating someone, you start trying out the things like their hobbies. And um, I was a gymnast growing up uh, and then turned like yogi runner. And when my um, ex-fiance got me a like lifting session with her coach as a gift for, um, I think it was like Christmas one year, it turned out like I kind of had like a knack for it. And I actually really liked it. And I was lucky that the coach that she introduced me to, who is still my uh, coach, is strong as hell. She actually competed in the Kern um, like a few times. So I'm just oh, wow. so lucky that I have that that uh, exposure. And then I just really liked it. So yeah. That's so crazy. Who is your coach? Tasha Whelan. Okay. I've heard of her. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. heard of her. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So then how long mm-hmm. have you been powerlifting then? Um, I think my first session with Tasha was at the very, was in like 2017. Um, and then I think I did my first meet the following year. That's uh, crazy. so yeah. And you mm-hmm. just, and what is your numbers? Because we were just talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was, yeah, luckily I just PR'd my squat, um, at 336. I'm one of those weird people where my squat is bigger than my deadlift. My yeah. deadlift is a measly 314, but I worked hard to break 300 on that. Um, and then my highest bench is 231, um, but I only did 220 in the last competition because I was trying to break that PR and I did. <laughs> I missed it. I went eight for nine, but that's okay. That's freaking phenomenal. I, I always find it's funny when people are stronger in their squat than their deadlift, you know, because y'all mm-hmm. are like unicorns. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's every once in a while. And then it's it's like dramatically different. But actually, that's not too much of a difference. It's only like 20 pounds. Like mine's almost yeah. 100. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's almost 100 yeah. pounds different. It's kind of crazy. I think it's interesting when you look at the bench difference to deadlift because some people their deadlift is like double their bench yes and my deadlift is less than 100 pounds away from my bench which is because I have just really short arms so I don't have a long range of motion to go which makes bench easy but then deadlift uh, you know maybe not the best lovers for that but yeah and you're a gymnast so you probably have some good flexibility in in that arch and I always find that gymnasts have a great level base strength like actually the girl was just talking about, she was a gymnast and she did cheer her whole life. So like having her do any kind of body weight stuff, it's already there. You know, she just, she's like, oh, that's easy for me. Whereas like somebody else mm-hmm. might struggle with 10 reps and it's just super easy for, 
Um, but I'm like, yeah, you guys are always the best when it comes to powerlifting. <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky that my mobility is still there. I did, I had the, I don't know if you're familiar with it, it's called the unhappy triad. I tore three ligaments in my knee during yeah. gymnastics oh. um, back in 2008. So I had surgery, but luckily, because powerlifting is like a one plane of motion, there's no cutting, there's no agility. Like I can still get to depth and squat. Like I've literally never been red lighted on depth because it's just, it's still there from gymnastics. Luckily. Wow. And you, yeah, and that's an, I've never heard of anybody getting the triad in a non-impact sport. Normally it's somebody oh. who's planted and then, you know, like football or soccer and then gets nailed from the side and that's ACL, ACL, MCL. And then, um, what's it called? The medial meniscus. There we go. Medial meniscus. Yeah. So I was like, meniscus. I don't know why I was thinking of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Were you yeah, landing uh, or something and that happened? Uh, yep. That's exactly what happened. I was doing a vault. I don't know how familiar I was with gymnastics, but I was doing a Yurchenko on vault. And when I landed, I just like, it was like a loud pop and my knee swelled up. And I came back the next year to like help um, my teammates, like I was still part of the team, just like, you know, moral support. And I saw someone dismount off a beam. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, they just tore their ACL. Oh like that's exactly similar landing mechanics, but that's so crazy. Yeah. But I, 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 I'm lucky I came back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's wonderful. I mean, full squatting, good squat. I had a partial tear from landing playing basketball. So I just landed mm. very, you know, and they don't really teach you how to land in, high school sports. I would hope that in gymnastics, they probably teach you better mechanics than I did, but I never landed correctly. I landed straight, straight onto the floor and it just, you know, hyperextended and just, yeah. But I'm still here, still squatting. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're all good there. Mm -hmm. I love that we're going to talk about pelvic floor today because like I said, like we, it's always a question. Whenever I say, Hey, what's a topic, you know, y'all want to hear, um, people are always asking about what is, you know, what is normal? You know, why is it that women pee more than men? Um, so I thought we could just kind of go down some of the, you know, some of the things we kind of talked about. So like, I think starting off, you know, what is um, as in regards to powerlifting, like why are women more prone to peeing versus <laughs> versus yeah. men? Um, and then, you know, could kind of elaborate a little bit more on the mechanics of those things. Totally, totally. So I want to start off by saying that it's a really common issue and you'll hear the phrase a lot, like just because something's common doesn't mean that it's normal, but I also don't like want folks to feel ashamed of it. It's not something to be embarrassed about, but I also see sometimes the opposite happen where folks tend to glorify it as like a marker of intensity. You know, like if you, if you aren't peeing, you're not like trying hard enough or something like that. I have a shirt that says that. Yeah, (laughs) it says if you ain't peeing, you ain't trying. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's Mm -hmm. right. And that's one of them. Exactly, exactly. I've definitely seen those a lot. So, um, so it is common, but it's definitely not considered normal or typical, or it's, it's not something someone just has to deal with. And there's lots of misconceptions about it. So um, first misconception is uh, the pelvic floor, like most people are, they think about pregnant cis women, um, but everyone has a pelvic floor, regardless of your sex, your gender assigned at birth, everyone has a pelvic floor. Um, so everyone has potential for pelvic floor dysfunction. And the thing is that it can present in a myriad ways that might not feel so obvious. So like peeing during deadlift is a pretty obvious sign, but there's other more subtle signs that people of all genders might not even realize could they could tie it to their pelvic floor. So 
people assigned female at birth, we have more orifices, <laughs> there's more holes. So there's more, there's less support. And if you look at, I don't have my bony anatomy model with me, but if you look at an anatomy model, um, the bottom of our pelvis has no, there's not very many bones there, yeah. which makes sense. Cause we need things to come out when we have a baby or you have, we have bowel movement. We need things to go in when we have sex, et cetera. And so there's not much bony support. So everything supporting there is muscles. There's also fascia, ligaments, nerves, all that good stuff. Yeah. And so when someone has more openings, <laughs> there's more, there's more room for dysfunction. Also, um, people with a vulva that we have a smaller urethra. So the urethra is shorter and therefore, we're a little bit more at risk for urinary incontinence. But I would say um, men also have a risk for incontinence. It's just, especially in relating to powerlifting, it's usually fecal or gas. Like there's definitely men who pass gas on accident when they're lifting or they need to wear something because they don't want to, you know, have an accident on the platform. Interesting. It's just less likely that they'll have urinary incontinence. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I've heard many of farts. You don't know how hard it is to be a <laughs> to be a judge mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. wanting to say or, you know, do this and just keeping quiet because you just hear a little toot at the top. Um, mm -hmm. And now that I think about it, it's only been guys I've heard that from. Now that I think yeah, about that's it. what I see clinically. I've never judged people, so I, I right. don't know what that, I don't, you know, but I, that's what I see clinically. Yeah. So, yeah. So with as in regards to powerlifting, w when we talk about what's normal and what's not normal. Um, what would you say is a sign that maybe there should be concerned? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So um, something I'm learning to try not to do is to provide solutions to people when they feel like it's not a problem. Yeah. Um, because some people, it just doesn't bother them. It's, it's, that's not their jam. They don't want to address it. And yeah. It, you know, I'm a healthcare provider. So my mind is always like, we have to fix this thing. But just, just cause I have that agenda. I try to honor what an individual may or may not want to do with their bodies, like first and foremost. So right. if someone's listening to this and they're like, I leak, but I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Like I respect your decision about your own body. Totally. When someone comes to me and they're like, I don't want this to happen, or I'm worried about it. I would say, um, no pee is normal. So it doesn't matter if you're soaking through a pad or you just have to wear a panty liner or you need to change your whole, your whole underwear or whatever. No amount of pee is necessarily normal. More concerning issues are that continuing to stress the pelvic floor like that can result in prolapse. Mm -hmm. um, so for those who are listening who may not know, um, prolapse isn't like your organs are going to fall onto the floor. <laughs> There's so many memes. It's like, do your, do your kegels. It's good to keep your vagina inside your body. I don't know if you've seen that. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it's ridiculous, but your organs are not, they're not literally going to like fall out onto the floor. They're encased in fascia. Um, they're not, they're not going to fall onto the floor, um, but they can descend and they can come out of the canal and that can be the vaginal canal or the anal canal. So anyone can have this problem. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a few different types of organs that that can happen to. And that is a concern because if it happens, if it comes out far enough, the only solution is surgery. Mm -hmm. Pelvic floor PT can help fix prolapse, um, but not only to a degree. Like once it's moved out far enough, that's an issue. So I would say um, feeling like you're starting to get prolapse symptoms and those symptoms can feel like something's falling out or um, sometimes it can feel like underwear stuck inside mm. uh, or like, like it just feels heavy yeah. and something's like weighing you down. Those are prolapse symptoms and, and that's concerning. Um, 
And then also if there's any level of bleeding, like that's not normal, other than obviously, you know, having your period, but any level of bleeding is not normal. And so I, I, this is always a thing for me. Like, um, I know it's been a topic that's came up with, um, federations, mm-hmm. uh, and it, and it, it oftentimes gets, uh, debated on what people, men and women or mm-hmm. should talk about. Right. Um, mm-hmm. as far as like, wh- where do we draw the line with how much pee is okay? Because the argument I've heard, and I just think that this per- people in general, they don't understand. And, and normally this comes from cis men and it's mm-hmm. like, um, well, they should go to the bathroom, but they're still peeing. And I've, talk to so many people who pee and I haven't, I did once before early on, but I don't usually pee when I lift and I have a lot of lifters who do. Um, but you know, they empty their bladder. They think they empty their bladder, but then they still are peeing it. Now, would you tell somebody that they need to ease up on the weights or what would be some solution if they are trying to, you know, fix this? Is that something that PT would help? Is there something they can do on their own? What what are some things that could be done for that? Yeah, so I have a few thoughts. So um, the first thing is like the wanting to empty the bladder or for people who have fecal incontinence, like trying to go to the bathroom beforehand. That's a really common strategy. But the thing is, there's always something left. Right. Your bladder is never fully empty. There's li- It's always got a little something. Um, same thing as when people go pee too often and they say, well, I went and something came out, so I must have had to go. Like there will almost always be something to come out unless you're severely dehydrated. There's always something left in the bladder. So that strategy doesn't really work. One strategy that can help um, is if you do have prolapse symptoms, because there's there's many things that could cause the incontinence in the first place. And I'm more than happy to like give more details on that. Um, but if the prolapse is part of the problem, sometimes inserting a tampon um, can help keep everything in place. And it also can give some feedback and give your pelvic floor something to squeeze around. So it can help to improve that. Um, it's not always a solution. It might not get your symptoms to go away completely, but it might have you, um, instead of having to change your underwear, you just have to wear a panty liner or something like that. Interesting. So that's one strategy. Um, I would say definitely, I wouldn't recommend to try just doing kegels on your own. So kegels like the pelvic floor contraction. Which is what people say to do like, Hey, you know, like let's get the kegels. And I mean, they're always, but it's such a general thing like too, is where I'm not sure if mm-hmm. people even know how to do that correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, so there's actually, actually, I don't know. Can I, yeah, it's going to go on YouTube. Can I pull my model? I do yeah. have one little model. Yeah. Okay. Let me just grab it real quick. So I know that people like listening to this on Spotify won't be able to see, but this is a, a model of the pelvic floor. I don't know if that's visible. So there are so many muscles in here. And then there's some that are can be felt on the outside too. Mm-hmm. There's like a million different muscles. And you even see the piriformis and the obturator internus, which mm-hmm. are hip rotators. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of different muscles in the pelvic floor. And um, just like other muscles in the body, they can be just too weak. Like that's usually common after someone has a baby, Mm -hmm. that initial postpartum period, because everything's been super elongated and it's just hard to find that mind muscle connection, but muscles can also be overactive or for lack of a better word, too tight. Mm. And, um, I'm sure, you know, as a coach that when a muscle is too tight, it also can't strengthen very well. Yep. The, the analogy I really love to give is like, I have this, this glass of kombucha here. And if I want to drink it, 
I'm going to use my bicep to pull the cup to my mouth, mm-hmm. but I don't want to carry it around all day. I also want to be able to put it down. And when a muscle's too tight, it's like you're stuck here and yeah. you can't put it down. You can't strengthen your bicep in this range of motion. You need to move through the full range of motion. Right. So if someone just tries to do kegels and they're too tight or too active, it's not going to, it might even make the problem worse. It can right. cause some, some pelvic pain. Interesting. So <clears throat> probably the best solution would be to see a professional then. Yeah, there are, I realize like that can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's not a super common specialty. It is growing. Um, but like when I was in grad school, there were only three, um, when it was still called women's health certified, only three women's health PTs in the whole state of Texas, the entire state of Texas, which is bonkers. And now it's probably, I don't know, 10 times that. Um, so it is growing, but it's still, it can be hard to find someone who's not hyper-focused on the pregnancy component. Like I treat patients who are pregnant. I have a patient who I saw her through her whole pregnancy. She lifted through her whole pregnancy. I saw her afterward. Um, and, but it, it is hard for folks because you don't have to have had a baby to have these symptoms. Oh yeah, and, for sure. You know, yeah. Or you don't have to have that anatomy to have these symptoms either. Right, right. So I'm hearing, so like it, because I know a lot of young people who haven't had children who do um, have some incontinence, but only when they're lifting. So you would say that one, it's, it's not normal to have an EP, but you know, whether or not you're concerned about it is your own deal. Like if you want to do something about it, but let's just assume this, these people want to do something about it. Cause I would say there's probably more people that are, um, that it would be concerning if there's any blood or if we see any signs of a prolapse. So like if you were to look in your vagina or if you felt it or saw something that was sort of creeping out, cause like after I had my baby, that's how it looked like there was definitely, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and they tell you not to look right. But of course you're going to look, you just had a baby. You're all sewn up. You're like, and I'm in that, I'm like, let me see what it looks like. Probably not the yeah. best idea. <laughs> but I was like, then one advice my best friend told me, like, do not look at your vagina for like four days. I'm, like, I'm looking at it. <laughs> but, but it was, you know, like I could see that things were just brought down further. Um, and of course, eventually they went back up. But for somebody who is young or even just having some sort of pain that it should be concerning if we start seeing things like that, or it, it would, if there's any pain, well, do people normally feel pain associated? Like that can't be normal either, right? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say I'm going to answer the question about pain, but real quick about the prolapse. Some folks might say, oh, well, I saw my gynecologist and they told me I don't have a prolapse. Um, but a gynecologist checks for that when you're laying down. Mm-hmm. And when you stand up, gravity can totally still pull that tissue. So I've literally had some patients where like I'm on the floor and they're standing and I'm checking because they might feel like they don't have their symptoms until they put pressure on their body, like during lifting, running, jumping on the trampoline with their kids, whatever. Um, But I'm so glad you you brought up pain because, yeah, pelvic pain is a problem um, and it can look like a lot of different things. But also orthopedic pain can be a pelvic floor symptom. Hmm. So I mentioned in the the model, the piriformis and the hip rotators, um, those are uh, like the obturator internus, those are pelvic floor muscles too. And so sometimes unresolved hip or low back pain can actually be pelvic floor dysfunction. Mm. And it gets missed a lot by PTs who only have the orthopedic skill set mm. and they're not either comfortable or um, they don't have the, the knowledge to inquire about or do a proper pelvic exam. Yeah. And what does mm-hmm. a proper pelvic exam entail usually? Yeah. So it's not like going to the gynecologist, which is a lot of people's concern. There's no stirrups, you know, there's no speculum, none of that. Um, 
there is an internal assessment, but I always make sure to tell the patients like, we can do whatever you feel comfortable with. Like, this is the information I can get if we only stay external. Here's the information we'll find out if we go internally. But first and foremost, I want someone to be comfortable. So I never rush that. Um, I do a full orthopedic screen first. So I check their lumbar spine, their SI joint, their hips. Um, and then we, we do internal assessments. So uh, this is like, you know, gloved and lubricated, all that good stuff, right? Yeah. But they're like on the table, knees in a bl- butterfly position, bolsters under the legs so their hips are relaxed. And then I just, with their permission, I feel the muscles in a clockwise motion. And there there's three layers. So I go one knuckle depth, and then I go second knuckle depth, and then I go third knuckle depth. And just like if I was assessing someone's hamstring, I would check is, are there trigger points? Is there pain? I'll have, I'll check their, um, their contraction strength, their endurance, their type two fibers. There's also some reflexes down there. You can check. Um, I'll see type their ability. Fibers, to- like, so how quick they actually, huh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Cause so for example, if someone like only leaks when they have a sneeze that came out of nowhere, yeah. that's usually cause the reflex called the knack reflex is not working properly and their type two fibers can't, they can't react fast enough. But mm. I have some patients who they only, they only leak when they've been sneezing eight times in a row. And that's more of an endurance type one problem issue. Right. So they react fast enough, but then they lose their strength because the endurance fades out. Yeah. Right. That's so interesting. And you said, okay. And then there's also a reflex. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so there's uh, one where like the, the clitoris should nod. There's one where there's like called an anal wink. Um, there's also a Q-tip test we can do to check for pain at something called the vestibule. Um, there's a whole variety of things. And I usually like tell patients, I'll give them the information at the end. And for those who are comfortable looking like yourself, yeah. I have a little mirror and I'll have them look so they can see, you know, what I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, and I also check like their abdomen and, and look for a diastasis, which is a separation between the two sides of the rectus abdominis muscle. Um, I check their diaphragm, things like that. So if they do have diastasis of the recti, do they, does that also like, is that also an indication that could be problematic for their like pelvis or? Yeah, it certainly can be. Um, so I think that, well, I should back up. Um, I am not a provider who tends to just like be quick to blame anatomy. Like for example, if someone has flat feet and they have foot pain, I'm probably not quick to say like, oh, it's your flat feet. Cause if they've only had foot pain for the last three months, but they've had flat feet for 25 years, I'm not really quick to blame it. You know, same thing right. with scoliosis, things like that. Um, same thing with diastasis, but it, it has more to do with um, how well does your abdomen talk to your pelvic floor? How good is that relationship right. with things like bracing? Then it is like, how wide is the separation? Mm, interesting. <laughs> I, um, I worked at a PT clinic for a little bit and uh, well, I worked at several, but the last one I worked at, they practice postural restoration, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, pelvis and, and rib cage. And uh, I remember having a conversation with one of the PTs, like, how does that even apply to pelvic floor? And she was like, well, I mean, like, if your pelvis is in, you know, an extended position, if we're at this, you know, explaining that, you know, it's all related, right? So I could see how if your pelvis is not in the best position and you're, you know, training in that position, and then these muscles are either lengthened or tonic or, you know, as you're saying, like, mm-hmm. I could see how that could be problematic and just keep exasperating this problem of, of pain. Um, 
which is so interesting that I've never heard of the, uh, uh, the, the test. So it's really kind of cool to hear. And, you know, maybe there's women who are thinking about, you know, seeking someone. And I think it's good that, you know, you describing what's involved with that, I think is important because it's, you know, it's like, then they know like, all right, I'm prepared to come in and get oh this sort of, or not get that sort of yeah. test. Um, yeah, I agree. It can be scary and intimidating. And I recognize that like, it's such a vulnerable part of the body, which is probably why I love this work so much. Cause it has all of our like basic life functions are there. Like everyone wants to be able to pee poop and have sex when they want and without pain. Right. Yes. And it is like, we're taught not to talk about that stuff. And so it is a vulnerable thing, but on my YouTube channel, I actually have a video like this is what happens in a pelvic floor PT evaluation. So people can like kind of see, like feel it out, see if they'd be comfortable. And um, I think it's pelvicrehab.org that has a directory for the US, like where you can just type in where you are and look up providers who are trained because it's not an entry level skill. You don't learn it in school. You have to get additional training. Yeah. So let's say that we have somebody who comes to see you that, um, you know, that you do that they're peeing when they're lifting. Um, and let's say they have they have a weak pelvic floor versus the other way around. What what does the treatment usually look like for somebody like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would uh, similar to what I said previously, I would check to see where the weakness is. So I showed you all those muscles. Sometimes people can be weak at one layer, but then really strong at another. Or mm -hmm. if I feel one muscle on one side and I have them contract directly under that finger, they're strong. But if I do the same muscle on the opposite side, they bar I barely get a flicker. Interesting. So yeah, so I try instead of just doing like kegels in general, it's so it's so um, general, I try to specify where we're working. So there's different like positions you can use, move your pelvis in to bias fibers in the front versus in the posterior side. If they're comfortable feeling this anatomy, or if they have a partner who can help them, I might have them feel inside that spot that is weaker and try to contract, give themselves like tactile feedback, use a mirror, self-visual feedback. Um, I usually do recommend temporarily bringing down the weight. I have a patient right now who's pregnant. I think she's, she's almost done her second trimester and she was leaking with squats and sumo deads. So anything where the feet are apart is going to be harder um, mm. for the pelvic floor than feet together because right. you're stretching that tissue. Right. Um, so I had her um, see if her coach, I always try to honor what the coach does too, because I know I have my wheelhouse, they have theirs. I try not to like overstep my bounds, but I, I talked with her coach to see if they could do like rack pulls, still keeping the sumo position and just dropping the weight and then increasing it based on lack of symptoms of the pelvic floor. And now she's back to her previous amount, still pregnant, baby's still growing and she's not leaking. It's really cool. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's mm -hmm. a great way. I mean, somebody like me, I would have never thought about, you know, where would be, where could you benefit somebody where they can still train? Um, that's, that's great. I, that's just wonderful. Like now I think about it. Cause I do have, I have a handful right now that, that, um, are always worrisome. And then they're like, I don't want to have a pad, but I do want to have a pad, but I don't want you to see the pad through the singlet. You know, that's always like a, uh, you know, a thought, but so the, the treatment itself would be of course, dependent on the person. Um, uh, but it would involve some sort of manual and squeezing of some sort. So positioning your body in a certain way, but then also the person is learning how to sort of use that muscle and activate that muscle, whatever the muscle you would probably find is weak or whatever needs to be worked on. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and also integrating it, you mentioned like postural restoration, integrating it into the whole core. So um, I'm sure that you know this, but for folks who might not know, like the, I do a full education on what the deep core really is. And I, 
I tell them, you know, if we strip away the superficial rectus and the superficial rectus spinae muscles, and we get to the deep transverse abdominis multifidi, like those have different functions, right? Like your quads are superficial and huge and you can squat a lot of weight, but you can't do it for hours. But the tiny, tiny muscles in your neck hold your head up all day long. So like there's different purposes for different, you know, positions of muscles right. and I'll have them. A lot of my power lifters, they're so strong, but their, their big muscles are like, I'm going to swoop in and do this work for you. And they don't know how to fire their transverse. They don't know how to get the multifidi on. Yep. And so once they know how to properly kegel, I'll really super scale back some of the deep core stuff and just have them build that. And I, I'm a big fan of loading people as soon as they're ready. Like I don't just try to give them baby exercises forever. Cause you're a power lifter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cause you yeah. strength train. Like that never happens with anybody in your field. You know what I mean? They're always so like, doo, 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 doo. but when, when people train, they have a totally different perspective. Totally. And I honestly think so many things can be solved by regular strength training. Like we talked about my knee injury earlier. My knee feels worse when I'm not squatting heavy. Yeah. Like, and I wish people would recognize that. And there's so much evidence that strength training improves so many things. Like I'm super passionate about women having strong bones for their whole life. And also, um, like being able to, to have like good balance. So you don't fall later on down the line when you're in your sixties and seventies and strength training helps with all of that, you all know? Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. you know, in the base of everything we do, uh, you know, like in my gym, it's, that's us, you know, Strength can help your speed. Uh, I mean, for those people who are always like, you know, like speed camps for kids and things like that. I'm like, they just need to be stronger. Their reaction mm -hmm. would be better because they would be stronger and they would be faster. I mean, that's what would happen. But yeah, I mean, I'm a proponent for all of that. So my family has years of osteoporosis. You know, it's like Asian, mm -hmm. they're always small in stature. They never really lift weights. They work in the field and stuff like that. But almost everybody, every woman in my family has fell at some point and they had really weak bones that broke a hip, broke an arm, you know, chop, hit their head. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's really interesting. So if somebody is looking to help, um, any kind of incontinence, I, I mean, you said that they can visit, what was the website again? I think it's pelvicrehab.org. Okay. We're going to put this in the show notes. I am also going to put the, um, the video that you were talking about, about what a first, you know, uh, what a first, um, visit would look like. Cause I think mm -hmm. a lot of that like nerves, like when I used to work at a PT clinic, when I was like 18, I remember there being like a, and I don't know if this, I never was in the room because my, the PT was, you know, the main person, but it was, it would, there was a device, almost like a long device that I think would be inserted. And then it would maybe measure how tight. So she did a manual, but she also had a machine that would, work with that too. I, I'm assuming maybe they don't do stuff like that anymore. Or do you, do you know, if maybe that's an older technique? So that I'm guessing that sounds like, um, a transvaginal EMG. So an EMG is electromyogram and all it does is it, it doesn't like shock anything or give any stimulus. It's just, it's just measuring output. So, mm. um, so I'm, I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but all muscles, like they can only do what your nerves tell them to do. Muscles by themselves are actually quite dumb. They don't have minds of their own. And so your nerves and how they talk to the muscle when they release that acetylcholine and how active they are really affect a lot of symptoms. Right. And so all of our muscles, unless we're like, they're completely paralyzed and flaccid are always producing some electrical activity all the time, even when we're asleep. Um, and so it, sometimes if they're too high tone, which you mentioned earlier, if they're hypertonic, um, that can result in pain and also weakness. And if they're too low tone, that's usually just the weakness standpoint. Mm -hmm. So transvaginal is where you can give the patient some like visual feedback. They have them try to contract and they can see how much force output 
their their pelvic floor is capable of producing. Or for people who have pelvic pain and are too high tone, you can have that visual feedback and then try diaphragmatic breathing to relax the pelvic floor. And you can watch the tone go down Mm. and watch them have more tolerance to things like penetration or what have you. That's so interesting. This has been so wonderful. Um, (laughs) Before I let you go, I always like to ask all of my guests... What the hell is wrong with you people? What the hell was I thinking? Where you think back to a time where hopefully it's in powerlifting that you thought, what the fuck was I thinking doing that? Can you think of a time when that happened? Uh, yeah, I, um, I think when I was still like at the beginning of learning how to lift and like how to prep, um, I, I would not take my deloads very seriously. Like I would be like, oh, I'm working out less this week. That means that I, I can like go out and do more like social activities or like run out my battery or I don't have to sleep as much because I'm not recovering from a heavy lifting session. And yeah, I definitely ended up paying for it. So I had to, (laughs) I had to learn how to respect the deloads, even though they felt like a mockery because I'm like, this is half of the weight I normally lift, you know, but they're so important and necessary. I still have to battle that. Like when I'm my deload week, like it's better now, but I'll do like more uh, gardening or I'll do things mm-hmm. that are like, oh, like I got more energy. But yeah, the point is to actually lessen the fatigue of everything, you know, like all the, mm-hmm. all the stressors and everything, if you possibly can. But th- that's okay. a good one. Cause there's so many people who still do that. Like, 100%. Yeah. I'm going to take more like I have a friend who will probably take more like, oh, I'm going to take spin and yoga then because, you know, I'm just like, I'm not really lifting as much so I can take more classes. I'm like that defeats the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like I can go out dancing and like drinking with my friends on Friday night and like stay out till two in the, in the morning. morning. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty pre-pandemic me but yeah i i had to i had to learn not not to do that yeah yeah for the gains mm-hmm. you're also mm-hmm. no gains. <laughs> Dude, yeah this is, honestly <laughs> this has been wonderful and i'm really happy that we got to talk about this and i know it's going to be super helpful for a lot of people i feel like i just learned so much just on not only what what is normal what is not normal because i think that we are sort of preach this like oh it's normal you know it's normal but it's not normal. Like it's common, but it's not necessarily a normal thing. And it's something that can be, would you say that most of the time people can, um, fix it? And I use that in quotes. Um, you know, is that something that, that can be fixed, I guess, through, through therapy and, and, and exercise? Totally. Yeah. Almost always like there, I mean, even it depends on the severity of the issue, but almost always, and definitely the sooner you get seen, the better it is, which is true for most issues. Yeah. Um, but also I think I'm, I'm so glad that you feel like you've learned a lot. I think I would want folks to take away that it's not just some of the more obvious things. Like our pelvic floor has so many functions from controlling our sphincters to sexual function, to supporting our organs, to actually being part of our core. Yeah. Um, that sometimes things like a herniated disc or SI joint dysfunction can actually be pelvic floor is not working right. And feeling like they they now have the knowledge to go in. And one other thing I totally forgot to mention, um, kind of a quick fix strategy for some people is they might simply be wearing their belt way too tight mm-hmm. and putting too much pressure. And if they're willing to try to loosen that and they feel like they can brace enough and get away with a slightly looser belt, they, that by itself can sometimes relieve symptoms. Wow, interesting. Yeah, that that that'd yeah. be that'd be interesting to see somebody just instantly be like, oh, look at that. That's so much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking this time for me. 